Welcome back, listeners, to Learning from Friends. My name is Kay Curtis, your lovely tour guide on this series that we are focusing in on professional wrestling with my good friends Ryan Wright, my brother Corey, Joseph Mize, Chris Bias, Daniel Murphy, and my father, who all set in here on this lovely discussion that is a three-parter. You are in currently right now on part two. Now, I want to say thank you to my buddy, Ryan Cherry who wrote this entrance music, because as a professional wrestler, your theme music when you're entering into the ring is very important, same as you're exiting out. And he came in clutch and made the intro music that we were using for episode one, two, and three of the professional wrestling. So shout out there for that one. We're also coming up on season three soon, and he wrote the theme song for that as well. So shout out there for being able to have that. So we're going to pick up here with our favorites. You got to start out with ring psychology. You got to go into why you like wrestling, what makes them your favorites. And that's what this episode is all about. But before we do that, we got to have our quote of the day. Very important for learning from friends. Now, Dad, continue us on with part two of Learning from Friends Pro Wrestling Edition. Dad, take it away. If you're going to set an ambition, set it high. Triple H. Perfect. Right on. It is amazing to be able to have those quotes and dad delivered straight on perfectly. So let's pick back up on the conversation, my friends. Now, I want to go into like a moment before we go into our favorites. Before you can explain why you're, they're kind of your favorites, you have to go, what are the elements of a good wrestling match itself? Ooh, yeah, got to have good ring psychology. Whoa, whoa, so what's ring psychology? Let's say me and you, Kate, are going to a match. I start working your arm. If you want to say what working is, Chris, that's ah. another term. Working, well, in this case, working is to abuse the person's body part. If you work someone's arm, you target their arm. Your moves are focused on harming their arm. And I may work your arm to sell a certain move later. That may be my spot to win the match. Perhaps I can't use my arm anymore, and that yeah. prevents me from hitting my devastating move. Yes. And ah, selling. Selling, selling was selling. said. Uh, selling in wrestling is where you are showing that you are being harmed by your opponent's move. If someone punches you in the face, you have to act like you've been punched in the face for it to be convincing. And the best wrestlers are usually very good at emoting and looking like they are actually being harmed. Because if they don't look like they're being harmed, you as a viewer will not buy that. And outside of the ring, there's always a story for most of these matches that leads up to it where you get the ring psychology will come into work. Maybe you cannot hit a diving elbow from the top rope and you may go for it. You may fail three, four times. And when you finally hit that move in the ring, the crowd may erupt. Sure, because it's the the try-fail cycle, for example. In right. psychology, you can have a favorite wrestler try a move over and over and over and fail, which gets their fans frustrated. And then you hit it and people cheer. It's the hero's struggle. The hero's struggle in many When places. the hero is down in a submission move, you will always get that camera angle of the 
face that they've reaching out towards the camera or reaching out to a crowd member. Yes. They're trying to get energy from you. They are trying to get you to start cheering on so they can make that heroic comeback. And a lot of times it's also great when the heel just shuts that shit down immediately. Absolutely. When the heel cuts it off, when the bad guy wins for a moment, that deflates the crowd only for them to raise back up later and say pop. Pop being another wrestling term, which is a loud cheer. If you pop in wrestling, that means you are cheering for something or you can just enjoy something. It's often in wrestling that you might hear someone say, I popped for that. And another thing with a match is a false finish. Sure. A false finish is where it looks like the match is about to end. Perhaps a wrestler hits a move and it looks like that was strong enough to end the match. And perhaps it normally does, but it doesn't. The person that is being pinned kicks out. And, and the fans are expecting the match to end. It does not. Thus, the ending is false. For the pin, it's a one, two, three. You can kick out one. Sometimes it will blow the crowd up. Some, But usually it's like two and three quarters. Right when that hand's coming down to the mat, there's that last second ditch of just throwing that shoulder up and grabbing it. And, and this is answering your question. Back to your question about what makes a match great. It's all of these things combined. It is the psychology of it where say your favorite wrestler's finishing move involves using their arms. So if you're the heel, you just abuse one of their arms so they can't, and that puts that wrestler in distress. Something like a false finish, for example. Honestly, anything in wrestling, as long as it is engaging, is what works. If the crowd is engaged, if people are invested, that is all that matters. And you can do that by making people feel. They need emotion. Emotion to care I'm talking because there's a lot of microphones being passed around in the back and I'm trying to buy time for someone else to speak. And now Joe is going to give us his bit. So one of the characteristics, you know, a lot of people might say, well, these guys look the same or same height, same weight, you know, similar build or the same women look similar. That's not necessarily true. Some of the best matches were a grown man versus a young child we're not saying like a you know 15 year old going no to we're talking like a nine-year-old child chris uh yes <laughs> uh, a great example of psychology yes uh kenny omega who's my favorite current day wrestler uh he wrestled a nine-year-old girl i believe it was it wasn't for maybe her birthday or a celebration in japan they came and asked him to wrestle this child and it sounds ridiculous but you have this grown man selling mm-hmm. For this nine-year-old child. And you say, Chris, that sounds ridiculous. But to everyone watching that is rooting for this nine-year-old girl, it's fun. It's entertaining. It's enjoying. As long as people have a reason to cheer or or are engaged, the match is successful. Then you have, going back in the day, Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Big Show. You have these David and Goliath moments. And... Most of the time, David wins, but then every now and then, David gets choke slammed through the <laughs> ring because he is small, or he gets picked up and thrown headfirst into the side of a trailer outside Thank in a parking NWO. lot brawl. It happens. You know, sometimes David has to get put in his place, too. It's true. And in order for you to care about the match, you have to build up a storyline in order to get there, because if I'm just throwing two random guys in the ring and I have no idea what their backstory is, why am I going to care? You got to have that chemistry. You got to tell the promos. You got to tell up a storyline. You got to build it up. Because if 
And if you're telling the same story twice, you better have a good reason while you're doing a second match, why you're doing a third match against each other. Because if you're just doing the same match again just to do it, what's the point? And this is something that I like from the old days that they used to do is they would perform because there wasn't TV really showing is they would perform the same match 10, 20, 30 times uh, going around a territory, territory, another word. Uh, territory just refers to literally the word territory in the older days, uh, wrestling promotions might operate in just the Southeast or the Northwest. And so as such, they would operate in the Southeastern territory. So you operated in your wrestling territory. It's geographical. Now you knew, as I said, with the David Goliath with story with the other, the, the heel and the baby face, if you know that you have something invested in it because you feel a certain way. If two characters are talking and you don't give a shit about it, no one's going to boo, no one's going to cheer. They're actually going to probably boo you out of the arena if they don't care about that match. I'm eating right now, so I'm going to apologize. The most important thing to me whenever it comes to a good match, there has to be authenticity. Because if somebody's out there cutting a promo and they themselves don't believe what they're saying, it falls flat. Yes. False plot every time. And a lot of that comes down to acting skills. Yes, there are skills involved with speaking on a microphone. But you have to have that authenticity. Yes. And just to end on this note, when we mentioned the word psychology, those that don't watch wrestling might say, well, what does that mean? What are you saying psychology? You're not sitting on a, uh, a chair having someone asking you about your feelings. There was a match between Shawn Michaels and Kurt Angle at WrestleMania 25, which is one of the most influential matches I've ever watched because that's the day I learned what psychology was. Kurt Angle beat the shit out of Shawn Michaels the entire match. And Shawn Michaels keeps trying to fight back and Kurt keep be keeps beating him up, but Shawn won't quit. And at one point, Kurt Angle grabs Shawn Michaels for, by the shoulders and starts begging him to tap out because Kurt has given everything he has. And he says, just tap out, Shawn. Please, just tap out. He's begging him to end it. And with the last of Shawn's strength, he kicks Kurt in the face in defiance. And that, to me, was the moment that I was invested. I watched Shawn Michaels get the shit beat out of him so badly, his opponent begged him to quit, and he still fought against the odds. That made me care for Shawn Michaels. That is psychology. And to go back to your psychology, there's a wrestling match with Shawn Michaels, again, who is probably one of my favorite wrestlers, has a ton of great matches and great in ring psychology. He had a match against Ric Flair at WrestleMania. A retirement as, match. Sort of. <laughs> sort of retirement match. Or Ric is begging Shawn, bring, come on, bring it on. And Shaw's in the corner tuning up his finishing crying. move. Both are crying because they both know this is it. This is at the time they think this is the last match for Rick. When Sean goes to the corner, he hesitates pulling that trigger on his finishing move. And finally, Rick Flair just basically gives a F you. And Sean just goes, I'm sorry. I love you. And just kicks his head off. And it's one of those moments of, Oh shit. We just witnessed one the end of Ric Flair at we thought at the time. And it's just a great emotional point for the match and for the night. Because we could see Ric Flair grow up. That was all of our childhoods. We saw many matches with him. But to see this is Ric Flair's last match and for him to go out like that on a high note and probably one of his best matches of his career, it says a lot to what ring psychology can be. 
and it was a lot of Sean just he doesn't want to put him down. Yep. But like old Yeller, he's gotta put the dog down. Except for Ric Flair wasn't rabid, but <laughs> he was foaming at the mouth at one point when Dude, yeah, there, go ask Jay Lethal some and, things. And there are some wrestlers that, again, like Ric Flair had like probably 20 more retirement matches after that, but he didn't want to give up on his wrestling career. And he his last match was hard to watch. That was so hard to sit back and watch to go out there and see him trying to perform. But that's a wrestler itself. They want to continue. They love the passion about what they're doing. And if you say a wrestler asking for their last match, their last match, they may have five or six before they really actually have to stop wrestling. <laughs> like Ric Flair, I think, actually turned off his pacemaker for that match. He did. Like, that's insane. Like medically, in order to get someone to like, oh, it, we don't think you can make it through this match if you have your pacemaker on. That's pretty intense because that's keeping you alive. Well, it, it's one of those things I, I hate to sort of move backwards because I feel like we can move forwards. But, you know, the reason why we're using the term psychology is all of this is about human behavior. There's yes, there's certain expectations from certain moves or things that are done within the ring that expects a certain reaction from the crowd. You're the one that's getting played. Yes. You're the one that's getting worked. Yes. And if a wrestler doesn't understand basic human emotion, basic human psychology, it's not going to work because you can sit there and see through it. Yes. You have to be able to get that illusion and get the crowd as invested as possible that you forget that it's fake. Yes, that wrestler is doing their best to convince you that they actually are hurt. Yes. That they have actually been maimed, that they are struggling, that they're tired, that there is some sort of fight going on, and that is why you get engaged as a fan and believe. And that's why there's so few people, you know, that make it to the top of, you know, superstar. And that's Because not great, everybody can do that. Yeah, and that's a great transition here to your favorites. What really makes it tick? What makes you actually like, who meets these qualifications? Who has good matches? Who gets you there? Let's go with first, who is your favorite male wrestler? Now, Chris and I are going to have the same one. I will say this. My favorite male wrestler is Stink. That man has evolved throughout his entire career. And he was so brand loyal from when he was in WCW he could have left and made millions probably going over to, to WWE. He didn't go. He had several times where he stuck to it. I respect The Undertaker as well for that. He was a brand loyal man. Now, when Sting left and say he came back a, a bunch of years later once his contract finally expired in with TNA and then Impact, he evolved. He didn't stay the same character. He in, had different iterations of his exactly, pro character. Exactly. And that's to me, that makes him my greatest of all time. I... One additional question for you. Which iteration of Sting did you like? My, what was your favorite? My favorite iteration was when he turned into the crow and he didn't speak for literally a year. Yes, he just stuck in the rafters and he was there invisibly and then he came down. That to me is my favorite version of the Sting. Man, a Stinger. few words. Yep. A lot of people have like mixed emotions about that one. I'm going to go back to the 1980s, which would be Mr. Wrestling number one. He was the only wrestler, masked wrestler, that was never, ever 
mask had been pulled off. Now, his partner, number two, they were tag team champions for years, but David Woods, I think, I'm not badly mistaken, is, is, was wrestler number two's partner. But wrestler number one, like you say, he was the only one that never lost his mask. And he maintained that up until he retired. Whenever he would go to the venue before doing that, when he would make appearances, you didn't know it really it was him. He kept it, he stayed kayfabe for so long in order to make sure he maintained his identity. And that to me, it was, that's dedication. Usually. Okay, Chris, because we have the same wrestler here. Yeah, I'll go ahead and answer to give everybody else time. Mine is Sting. Absolutely. Because Sting was the first superhero to me. I didn't read comics growing up. Surfer Sting was my favorite. He was yeah. larger than life. He elicited emotion. I looked up to him. He felt like a greater presence. So for me, Surfer Sting, the energy he had, the exuberance, uh, and to see him still going today is absolutely incredible. So that's an easy one, Sting. For me, yeah, Sting's definitely easy, but I'm going to branch off just because there's a wide variety. Uh, I'm going to go Chris Jericho. Break the walls. Break the walls down. And I am going, I mean, yeah, we have WCW Jericho. We've got long bleach blonde hair coming out, annoying as all get out. And then I'm telling you, like, that entrance on The Rock, Y2J showing up to Monday Night Raw has to be one of the biggest pops I have ever seen. Raw is Jericho. Yes, Raw is Jericho. Y2J is here. And just to watch his career. And as a wrestler, you have to evolve or you will die as a character. I mean, The Undertaker, as infamous as he is, evolved his character multiple times and then circled back to the dead man. But Jericho has continually evolved his character over the years to keep the crowd interested in him because that gimmick is only going to work for so long. Gimmick. Yeah, gimmick. Gimmick. What is a gimmick? Uh, Gimmick, think of the gimmick as... Uh, a piece of your character. Uh, For example, if you portray yourself as a Canadian Mountie, but you are not actually a Canadian Mountie, that is a gimmick. That is your persona. That is your stage name, if you will. Gimmick can apply to quite a few terms in wrestling. You can even use items that are considered gimmicks, but essentially they're items that enhance your character. So that can be your character itself as well. Um, Mine... Actually, has changed over time. Honestly, I've I've had one. I had one in the Attitude Era. I had one early two thousands. I have one now. But give us all of them. Uh, Go for but it. But in the nineties, Steve Austin for in WWE, and then also in WCW was Hollywood Hogan. I was a big I was a big Hogan fan. Um, then early two thousands, you guys all know this one, Rey Mysterio. Yeah, you guys all used to tease me about it. Um, and then now. Even though some people may not like him, CM Punk, and I also like, uh, oh my God, who was the other one? You I love like him I, so much you can't even think of his name. I know. Uh, Kenny Omega is the other one. Corey? 
So I'll kind of go this route. I don't really have any major favorites. But I mean, if I was asking myself this like while I was younger, I would probably say I'd honestly probably say Hulk Hogan. But as we all know, with kayfabe basically dying is you eventually learn stories about some of your wrestler, you know, favorite wrestlers, and that can change. And that's okay. It's just, it's it's very hard sometimes to separate, like, what's real from what's fake. And, you know, because of that, I would say very rarely, you know, do I have a favorite when I was younger? Yeah, probably Hulk Hogan. Nowadays, no. There's, there's, there's too much there. He's a Hulk Hogan man. Never thought about that. I like Dan. I got a few different eras where I liked wrestlers. During the 90s, Stone Cold was also very cool because it's a great character. It's basically, fuck your boss, fuck everyone. I'm putting the middle finger Go up. Go against the man. And I'm going against the man. Shawn Michaels was a favorite man. It's probably number one on my list if you take all generations together and put combine them. I mean, come out to Sexy Boy. Oh, you yeah. You tell me you did not dance to that song and did a little shimmy when that music hit when you were young. I'm going to doubt you. And he has so many great matches, like with Kurt Angle, Chris Jericho. One of my favorite matches was, Chris, was uh, The Undertaker at WrestleMania 25, where it was the light versus the dark was the gimmick oh, of the match. Oh, that was so good. Shawn Michaels is coming down from the Raptors like he's basically god coming down in all white having his hands up like he's a prophet coming down and then his music hits the six boy and he's doing his little strut going out to the ring and then undertaker coming out from below like he's the dead man but to go back to my favorite current wrestler right now and to also go back to kenny omega for ring psychology he is probably one of the best ones in ring psychology today about that but I want to go with MJF, Maxwell Jacob Friedman. Oh, man. He is a He's the future he's of pro wrestling. When Razor Ramon was out there, everyone loved the bad guy. He's the bad guy, and everyone loves him for it. He can get you so emotionally invested whether to cheer for him like he did tonight. Yep. Or hate his guts, and when you're waiting for him to turn on, get his ass kicked. Yeah. You know, you don't know what he's going to come out of his mouth whenever he goes to talk. And that is probably right now, easily the best talker in professional wrestling right now. Like right now, even with his mom on Twitter, they had a little little thing like on Twitter. He posed about, this is my moment. I'm main eventing Wembley at the most 81,000, the most profitable big pay-per-view wrestling currently. His mom just goes, I'm so proud of you. And he just tweeted back, Shut up, mom. This is my time to stay as a heel <laughs> yeah, character. He's just the small things. He is the one person that has stayed in character the entire way through his career. Doesn't break kayfabe. And I'll go ahead and say this. One day, I fear that's going to get him in trouble. Oh, eventually. If he was in WWE, he would never get to do that at all. Now, that's turn it backwards. We've done the male. Who's your favorite female? I'll I'll start. I will go greatest female of all time. And then I'll do my like my current one. I will say greatest of all time. This one's going to surprise some people. Sensational Sherry. I 
Can't argue that she was fantastic. That woman, sensational Sherry Martell, she could cut promos. You get her doing a generation of error where there really wasn't that many wrestlers that were like female wrestlers. She wrestled men. She wrestled women. She wrestled people in the audience. (laughs) Yeah, she even held several titles when it came to it. And that, in my opinion, for that generation to do what she did, she was a great valet. Valet, that's give that term. Uh, valet, uh, someone that will escort a wrestler to the ring. Oftentimes in the old days, it would be a female that might be attractive, that maybe might have some sort of implied romantic relationship with the wrestler. Miss Elizabeth. Uh, that usually Just, would also cheat on their behalf. If you had a valet, usually you were a bad guy. And, and, and the, I will say this, Sensational Sherry scared the shit out of me. That woman was scary her voice rasping kind of like in the way she always wore her hair was all kind of like crazy and stuff like a little witch and my favorite iteration of her was when she was the manager for harlem heat she was amazing take. amazing for that that that's my favorite and she did she did uh, some vocals oh yeah oh yeah I'm going to go in a totally different direction on this one because I thought about this. And like Corey, I don't think I have many favorites in wrestling. A lot of things are equal to me. So for me, my favorite wrestler today uh, is a Japanese female wrestler because I don't have an all-timer. Her name is Mei Saruga. And she is like a 23, 24-year-old Japanese wrestler that trained in the promotion I mentioned earlier, Choco Pro, that has maybe 20 people attend the shows. She showed up to train there. There's no ropes. There's a large brown mat. There's no fanfare. These people are doing it because they love it. And this girl comes in off the street and she is transformed into one of the best young Joshi, Joshi meaning a Japanese female wrestler, products today. And to see someone go into a situation where they are not making a lot of money. They are not in the WWE's developmental system. They are not hot on the indies. It's just this young, diminutive, 20-year-old Japanese girl that just loves wrestling show up and train her ass off and become a product that in a few years I think will be signed to a major promotion. That to me just speaks to the spirit of wrestling because for every major wrestling superstar, there are hundreds out there that are grinding on the independent circuit that make almost no money. They have full-time jobs. They don't make enough to live on their wrestling salaries, essentially. And I think those people should be admired because they do it because they love it. And so to watch someone like Mesa Ruga become a legitimate wrestling star despite her humble origins, training in front of four people, really inspired me. So for me, I mean, nowadays there's so many who have, you know, especially over the late 90s, 2000s, you know, that was our time, very influential. Um, We watched the women's division and women's wrestling as a whole really get pushed and get taken off uh, yeah i'm not talking the bra and panties matches or the no. um things like that we're, we're talking about like the wrestling actually picked up right like yeah right. no gimmick matches um finally get some respectable tv time yes and respect um but i kind of get i roll it back several years and may young oh yeah and she was so foundational to the industry as a whole. And even as a kid, like, yeah, I didn't know who May Young was, 
you know, back in the sixties when she was really wrestling, but I knew that she gave birth to a hand one night. Her Mark, Mark Henry's, <laughs> Henry's kid. And, and then was here she is 70 years old in the ring taking shots, you know, going through get, a table. Yeah. Going through a table, getting body slammed. Like she was wrestling to the day she died. And it was impressive. I, again, mine goes back through like, I have several from over the years. Um, 90s. Of course, you can't talk about one without talking about the other, but Trish and Lita. Oh, that was, gosh, um, that's huge. Trish Stratus and, and Lita. So I like both of them. 2000s, AJ Lee. Great. CM Punk's current Great. wife. And then now now Chris Statlander. Now Chris Statlander in AEW. Yeah, so, phenomenal. So, and, and for me, that's what it is. And to go back on Lita and Trish who kind of were set the bar for women's wrestling at the time were the first women to main event Monday night raw. I think it was maybe Trisha's send off match. I think she retired shortly after or lead it. One of them retired shortly after, but there was never a women's main event match till that happening. And that's revolutionary. And like him, I had to think for Trish, like most teenage guys at the time you know blonde hair big breast yeah they're gonna like them for some reason apparently but to go back today there's so many good and young wrestlers female wrestlers coming up chris dantliner is great Britt baker's coming up she's got so she's grew up so much from the pandemic and benefited the pandemic so much from bacon lynch is a great one too or rebecca quinn as she's known on the indies but Carrie Sane's another Joshi wrestler that went to WWE from stardom. Who's got one of the most devastating elbow drops I've ever seen. It just looks like it's going to kill you, but there's no, for me per se, favorite wrestler, AJ Lee. I went out and bought her book. It's a great read. I'd suggest picking up just like there's many other books for wrestlers. that produce one. Mick Foley had one called have a nice day. Every wrestler from Shawn Michaels to Bret Hart, there are a ton of books out there. If you want a bigger glimpse into their business, rent one from the library. Go to your local library, get a car, rent. I'm going to have to haul off and say Vicky Guerrero. Excuse me? Excuse me? We turn, we turn around like saying met her on the cruise. <laughs> And that, that I think that was her last show. Yeah, she was shortly, she released, shortly released after that. <clears throat> I always enjoyed whenever she hauled off and come out. Corey, I'm going to kind of go with two, and they're not really favorites, but it's ones I think that sort of stick out more. A lot of people are going to say Becky Lynch. She caught lightning in a freaking bottle. Yeah, she did. That's why I like her so much. She wasn't supposed to to make it and then she broke her nose on an invasion angle and there was an iconic shot of her standing like in the crowd with her arms outretched in like a you know jesus christ pose blood running down her face and like the crowd took to it like freaking wildfire they did she she was actually told at one point like what that Basically, she 
you know, she wouldn't amount to anything. She wouldn't amount to anything. Like when she was what in NXT, wasn't it? No, it was before NXT. Whenever she was trying to leave Ireland, whenever <laughs> she got actually trained by Finn Balor. Yeah, and instead she's done her more or less done her own thing, and um, again, lightning in a bottle. Another person that I really enjoy her wrestling purely from a wrestling perspective is Serena D. Because here's the whole thing. As much as I love Serena D, she can't speak on the microphone. She tries. And and again, I'm much more of, you know, storytelling type person. Love somebody that can tell a story. Love somebody that can tell a, pro, you know, <laughs> basically <laughs> speak a promo. But from a wrestling perspective, it's Serena D, hands down. I mean, that's she's, why she's what? The professor. That's why she's the professor of, you know, pro wrestling. And, you know, she... You know, I'm sure makes her, what was it, uh, killing, you know, as, as a coach, bringing up the new younger stars. Totally underappreciated. Completely underappreciated. I agree. Now, that's jump from, we've done our re- favorite wrestlers here. What's your favorite gimmick of all time that some wrestler has done? Gosh, Corey. Corey's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Orange Cassidy. A hundred percent. Of course, everyone there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that the fact that he is so lazy, whatever, doesn't even want to wrestle to begin with. Doesn't even want to wrestle to begin with. Carries a title in a freaking backpack. You know, it's it's like you could not come up with something more unique than that. I mean. Hell, he'll just like roll out of a ring purely because of the fact that he doesn't want to be there. Lazily. Lazily rolls out of the ring. Hey, when he high fives his fans, he will not even lift his hand up. Won't even lift his hand up. He cuts a promo. At most, it's two words. Or he forgets what he was going to say. Minus the one time that he goes on this whole entire long, giant rant with a debate but, with Chris Jericho. But, that was amazing. But the most important thing is, is he's going to try. He tries. It's true. He does. He's, he's going to try. He is, he's going to try. And, and again, amazing, amazing gimmick. Hands down, that's my current favorite. Current favorite. So I'm going to have to go back to my favorite wrestler, Chris Jericho. And one of his many gimmicks was the list. Oh my gosh. You just made the list. And it didn't matter who, what, when, where, how, or why. If you made him mad, you made the list. If you got in his way, you made the list. If you didn't, if you were the barista at the coffee shop and you gave him decaf. Yeah, the podcast, podcast is definitely make making the list. Um, you know, <laughs> now it's the, it, the it was gone. the list, and it carried on for such a long time that people would come to the arenas with a clipboard. Look, if you can get over a yeah. simple of he pulls out from his pocket a a pin, a pin he yeah. gets over as soon as the pin comes out. Yeah. He, you're waiting to hear the and, and, and where. That evolved from was back 
in the 90s in WCW when he is in a match and he pulls out this, you know, paper box full of old oh, papers. Yes, of the, the papers. papers. And it was like a ream of paper. And it was a thousand. And he said, I am the man of a thousand and four holds. And he starts reading off different bar holds. <laughs> and then it cuts to commercial break. He's still reading. And it comes back three minutes later. And he's still reading the list. And people are losing their minds. It's just genius. And gentlemen, with that, I'm going to have to do another thing, and that is submit and tap out oh, for the evening. Joe, thanks for coming in. So thanks for we coming in. We love you. Enjoyed being on here, guys, and love the bond that we have with this thing called wrestling. Or no, sorry, wrestling. Wrestling. <laughs> oh man, somebody should have said you're pronouncing it wrong. Yeah, wrestling. Misconception. Again, I'm going to have to go back. Mine's is mine is generational. Nineties, I love the mankind gimmick from uh, Mick Foley. I love the mankind gimmick. The dude love the Cactus Jack, all that stuff. The three and then faces of two thousands, I, I not a lot of people liked it, but I absolutely loved the Adam Rose gimmick. Okay, okay. Don't be a lemon, be a rosebud. I absolutely love that gimmick. I don't know why, but I just thought it was great, and is just one of those things that. Did, just did it for me back then. And then this recently is the, uh, of course, broken Matt Hardy. I mean, yeah, delete good one. I mean, delete everything for all I care. Just delete. That's, <laughs> that's all you have to say is delete. <laughs> I, I will say for me going through gimmicks is in TNA, Jeff Hardy and his whole drug stupor and all kinds of craziness, the willow when he was willow in when he was crazy, had his umbrella spinning out. He'd go into this whole weird, long, crazy promos that were just poetic and all over the place because he was just huge into the art. And he pulled that character back. He had Willow the Wisp in Ring of Honor. You know, he did like a couple of shows with it and everything. And he brought it back as just Willow. And just the way he did it was just, it connected with me. And I and he always teased it of maybe coming back with it. People wanted to bring it back. But that gimmick to me is my favorite of all time. I would say I don't have a certain like wrestler gimmick. There's so many good gimmicks out there from the history of wrestling. I mean, Ric Flair, the nature boy, whining and dining. Dusty Rose is a great gimmick. Just a common man. Hot times, hot times. Little boy. He ate with Kings and Queens and dying in the alley on pork and beans. Just a great average joe gimmick that the fans just flock to and he has some of the best promos out there rick flair a complete opposite end of the spectrum he's a fancy boy living the high life flying on private jets he has a girl in fact he probably go steal your girl at the show and he'll go ride space mountain or show ride space mountain uh, with him I'll try to keep this succinct because I know we could talk about this for six hours and no one has this time. So for me, Corey's answer is correct. It's Orange Cassidy. I will give a shout out to my favorite current day wrestler, Kenny Omega, because he made it big as the cleaner in New Japan. But the idea of the cleaner was he was some sort of assassin that quote unquote cleaned up the competition. But instead, he came out with trash cans and brooms and mops. And yet he wore a leather jacket, aviators. He was the 
over-exaggerated anime mid-boss. And he actually used that to launch what is one of the most successful wrestling careers today. So to watch a man beat someone up with a broom was something I'd never seen while wearing leather jacket and sunglasses, but I appreciated it. And, he'll, and he probably had two valets carrying mops out there yeah, for some reason. at different points in times for it. Now, from gimmicks, we've had favorite wrestlers, favorite tag team. This one for me is one of those ones that it carries over and over and over and over and over again. There's so many answers to this, but for me, it's the Hardy Boys. Like the Hardy Boys, and that's going to be probably a lot of other people's, but that is brothers that came in, and there's so many brother tag teams out there to be able to do, but they changed, in my opinion, wrestling, and they stayed innovative. They constantly had so many different innovations of them. They would come back to one gimmick, their main one, from time to time, and they're doing it right now. It's just beautiful. Like that's for me is beautiful wrestling right there between those two. When that beat hits, it just hits just right. It does. I'm gonna go back to the eighties and nineties. The Minnesota Wrecking Crew, Rick and Scott Steiner. Love the <clears throat> they were brothers. They they ruled the wrestling career whenever they was in. And Scott still wrestles some today, but he not as much as he does. But that that was my most favorite tag team there was. I mean, there's so many great tag teams from Rock and Roll Express to the Hardy Boys. Currently, I can't go with are the Young Bucks. Okay. Young Bucks are revolutionary. Yeah, they they literally change the business. Change the business, baby. They have a book about that actually. Change yes, the business. Uh, for me, I don't have one uh, that stands above the rest. I think there are a lot of equals like the Hardys. So I'll go with Sting and Lex Luger as a child because it was the first dynamic of a face and a heel that were friends. The fact that they could coexist was fascinating as a child because that was something that was so rare. So to see them work together was wonderful, even though they're not the best skilled tag team. Of course, I agree. I agree with Cade. Uh, the Hardys are my favorite, but I also love the Mega Powers. Oh, yeah, man. man. Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage, the Mega Powers. <laughs> I, lo I, loved, I loved that gimmick back in the, game, back in the day. That was awesome. And so we go from, we have our tag teams. We're going to get bigger from tag teams to factions. Like, that's a hard, that's a, oh my gosh, Corey's jumping out the bit here. Go, Corey. The Shield. Oh man, that's a, that was a great, great like, group. To me, what's most important about The Shield is the fact that they were nobodies. I don't, yeah. Absolute nobodies. And you sit and look at them today. They are they're the, the current day yeah. professional wrestling business. All three top guys. Yep. <laughs> um, they never had any. You can correct me on this, but they never had anybody else join. They didn't have people leave. People come in. They've never had a reunion to ruin their history. Like it's it's solidified. Yep. <laughs> um, and to me, that's what. That's why they're that's why they're the, my top back or top trios, top action, like hands down, period. I mean, the invasion angle, what was it? Them coming in, they had a consistent story and they never swayed from it until they all, you know, 
betrayed each other. Even though I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of when they like, oh, yeah, let's have Kurt Angle and Triple H be. Yeah, there were instances of guest appearances. But it was g- only guest appearances. Only one-offs. Like it was weird was one-offs hurt. just but they were always the the permanent members were only those three yes and they reunited briefly at one point but they never did it long enough to ruin anything and then they went through it hadn't been tarnished and then then they had the the send-off where moxley left but they did that last little thing there and i thought that was pretty pretty nice for them to be able to do that i will say mine goes back to the wcw days of raven's flock i loved raven's flock because of that came in and it was just basically a whole bunch of dudes that were they look like they came out of like a trash can. <laughs> they look like they were just, they would sit ringside. They sat ringside. You didn't know who they were going to attack, what they were going to kind of do. And again, you had Raven, Perry Saturn, Hammer, Horace, Canyon, Kidman, Lodi, like and Stevie Richards, like all these guys, in my opinion, they were so underrated, but that that's, they didn't get the big push that they deserved, but they were, they were there, man. It's, I loved it. It's, it's, it's all the weirdness. Oh, did totally make wrestling great. It, yeah, it's just the, the complete whole it grunge was the, aspect. It, exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly right. It was the whole grunge aspect. For me, oh, like I have to agree with Corey's the Shield, um, Sierra Ho- Hotel, India Echo Lima Delta. I mean, come on. I mean, it, the, their entrance music. Once you heard it, that was you know you knew it was over with. I mean, pretty much that was it. And then, but going into the early '90s, I had two. It was NWO and WCW. I mean, hands down. And then. Uh, in WWE, it was um. Oh my God, I just went blank. Uh, no, D- Degeneration X. Yeah. So that was that. Those are those are the two. Yeah, I'll say for me, the Shield is the correct answer. I think. Shout out to Corey. They're the they're pillars of the industry right now. I mean, absolute leaders, absolute legends. So as a different answer, though, I'll say the Bullet Club because the Bullet Club are largely responsible for the state of wrestling today. The fact that leaders like AJ Styles, Kenny Omega, Jay White, Finn Balor, guys that are at the top of their game, they changed the industry in a more subtle way than maybe the members of The Shield. Uh, But a company like AEW wouldn't exist without the Bullet Club. So Bullet Club for life. I mean, with D-Generation X, everyone's just going around school the next day Suck it. Suck, suck it. it. Exactly. Drop it. I mean, it. with NWO, that's a revolutionary shirt. You've seen celebrities wear oh my NWO gosh, yeah. shirts now. Yep. And that goes back to how popular wrestling is. The shield is the undoubtedly correct answer here because there's been no one before and probably not being anyone after the shield has been as impactful to, as the shield, but I'll throw a wild card out there. The bloodline. Okay. Yeah, I'll agree. That that's been the best storyline, right? Uh, for the best storyline in wrestling, yeah. Period. Currently, that was amazing. That it's, oh, the way they did that too. And it's so all about good. their mannerisms too when they yep. tell their story. Yep. Cordy, I have something else you want to add? I was just gonna make a comment, just to throw out the whole bloodline thing. Sami Zayn is getting his due. Finally. Yep. Finally getting his due. He's another guy that I deeply enjoyed. And caught lightning in a bottle. Yeah. Agreed. I just wanted to say, I don't know if there's, Ryan said before, after the shield. I think there are some groups before that are just as, and more impactful than the shield. But I give the shield credit because they're 100% main event hit rate. That's why I chose them. The Von Eriks. 
We didn't even mention the four horsemen and factions. My God, there's too many. There's too many. It's there's too many. Yeah, that's the, there's again. This is why it's our favorites, like our favorites. And again, you can everybody's gonna rip this thing apart. But you know, what? at the end of the day, I could care less because this is ours. You can suck it. <laughs> like okay, next one. Who's your favorite manager or valet? Jimmy Hart, because he's managed several different wrestlers all throughout the years. But I, I've always liked the way he manages his people. Yeah, the the mouth of the South. Hands up. I I can't say anybody different. A favorite like that, that definitely is going to be favorite. Um, but if I had to say. Another person that to me kind of connected was Bobby the Brain Heaton. The way he he has psychology from going from being a wrestler and being part of some of the greatest tag teams and stuff like that. The way he managed people, that man had ring psychology like nobody else. Like that guy, hands down. Great commentator too, because that's when your turn happened. That he thing. just says it moved just yep. perfect. Yep. Oh, I knew that was going to happen. Yeah, and he was hilarious too. Hilarious. Yeah, I'd probably agree with Jimmy Hart. So just to do someone different, I'll go with Paul Heyman. Paul I Heyman as someone. I'm a Paul Heyman guy. He, was gonna be my, mm. He's more modern, but Paul Heyman, it just still feeling the impact today. The fact that he was even a promoter. You, I mean, you took the words out of my mouth. Paul I was going to name Paul Heyman purely because of the fact that like. I, I, I love to hate him. That like that, that's that is a so great... believable. I, I, anything yep. that comes out of his mouth, you know a hundred percent that he is all in on what he's saying. A hundred percent. There's and, and, there's so many. And his story's so well. interesting too. Didn't he start out as like a photographer? He started out actually, yeah, photography, yeah. and then worked as a ringman, and then yeah. the ringman, and then basically he was able to convince a couple people, including his parents, to invest in him and to have start ECW. But the thing is, and, there's so many interesting stories yeah. like that that come. Out of wrestling, you have these, you know. But he was committed. He yes. was going to make it happen. And you can tell that in his presentation and when he speaks. Yep. That's what makes him such such a great exactly a great manager. I have two. One is Paul Bear. Yeah. For Undertaker yep. and Kane. Um, and of course, my name is Paul Heyman. <laughs> <laughs> so that so it's I, I love both of them. I'm a Paul Heyman guy, flat out. He's an advocate. He's the wise man. More, more than likely, his hands has been on more storylines and more plots than you can count oh, yeah. in a million days. He has the mind of wrestling in the palm of his hand. And if you ever watch some of his interviews, genius. He's a fucking genius in every genius. aspect. But currently, if we had to go current right now, I like Don Callis. Don Callis is a great deal. Good. He walks to the ring, and before he even says anything, they are booing the heck out of him. The it is amazing. The only person that's more booed than Don Callis right now is Dirty Dom. You cannot hear a True. single thing. True. But not Dominic Mysterio. Not a manager. So. Yeah, but not a manager, but, but still. Definitely not a manager. Yeah. He has more heat than more anyone, heat. I believe. Yeah, it's true. Now, if, if you're looking at, we've done... The cop, the we're gonna go into commentators because that is another part of a match that if you're watching at home watching TV and you're listening to commentators, that is going to make or break a match as well. Because if if you're a fan watching in the arena, you don't hear the commentary, but if you're at home like 
90% of the people that are listening, if you don't have a good commentary team, it's going to fall flat. It really is. And for me, my favorite group was Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heaton, and Mike Tanay. Yeah. Yeah. When those three were together, it was gold. That I mean, hey, I don't have nothing more to say to that. When they call the match, it was it connected so well. It just, oh, it felt like gold. I I can't remember who did it with him, but I liked uh, Jr. in the '90s and early 2000s. I don't remember who the I think Michael Cole was towards the end, and Jerry Lawler. Like I, those three. I mean, because well, because you grow up. I grew up listening to them, but Jr. probably is my favorite, just one in general. But when it was him, Jerry, the King Lawler, or Michael Cole, it was to me it was great. Mine's a recent one, and it's one that's not happening anymore. But it was Taz and Excalibur on AEW Dark because Taz and Excalibur are incredible together. But AEW Dark, to those not that don't know, it was on YouTube. But there were clearly whatever little restrictions they have, they did not have on AEW Dark. They're doing like eight hours of commentary together. But it was pure. As a result. And, and what was so great about it is because it was so pure. Yeah. They were just having fun. Yeah. Like, I, that's it. They were just having fun. It was goofy. Their chemistry, Taz was freaking goofy. Their chemistry on was there. insane. And it was because they were having fun. Yeah. So Taz and Excalibur. Chemistry right there. And it's got to be nothing but chemistry because you can put someone like Jim Ross and Excalibur. It does not gel at not that, all. Not that well. But. I got to go with the current AEW lineup for commentators. I mean, Bobby the Brain Heenan was a great one, and the current one has got to be AEW because even Nigel McGinnis that's joined them recently, he'll say some crazy shit, and you go, what did he Wait, just what? say? <laughs> yeah. Huh? Now, going from, you got to have your announcers that are sitting there talking to you, but if you're in the arena, you get to experience this. The interviewer, the guy, the ring announcer that's in the ring introducing people to come into the ring and doing uh, in the back, doing the interviews for the promos and stuff. Who's that person for you? For me, hands down, mean Gene Okerlund. Mean Gene Okerlund. Whenever he sits down in like, oh, there's just no two words about it. Whenever he gets a microphone, whenever he got a microphone, it was magic. It was it didn't matter who he was talking to. It was magic. Yeah, I thought you meant just the announcer that announced the wrestlers in. And I was like, well, I don't know his name, but he's the Japanese announcer that goes, Kenny Omega. But now that you've uh, said that, Mean Gene is the answer. Modern day, I think Renee Paquette, as far as backstage announcers, I think she's fantastic. Um, I think she gets it. She's involved. She's convincing. She's real. So, But Mean Gene is my childhood. Yeah, it hands down. Well, I mean, Gene, with Renee, she's playing along. Like, yep, it, it, she she's not just, oh, hey, I'm answering a question. I'm here to look good, blah, 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 blah. It's like, she reacts. The facial expressions. Like, she's just as much cutting a promo as, you know, the guy or girl, like, next to him. And her facial expressions, too. Like, yeah, true. You, you can see whenever she's, like, disgusted by somebody. I'd have to agree with me and Gene Okerlund and, and, and Renee Paquette, like Corey said. Didn't Tony Schiavone do a little bit? Oh, he still does. Back, like, yeah, still like does. I like him too because a lot of those guys like I tell you, Tony Schiavone, but the, like it's stuff like that. Like I just and I, I like his reactions too, and he when he does stuff. And to go back to Chris about ring announcers, Howard Finkel, introduction, great. Did a few backstage, but mainly introducing the ring. But it's with the one and only mean Gene Okerlund. 
Yeah. If it's if you don't include him as the best backstage, what are you even talking about? Because I'm curious to see what your answer is at this point. True. That's true. This one, some people may have an answer to. Some people may not have an uh, answer to. Favorite referee. Everyone's going to say one thing. No, it's not. Mine's going to be different. I'm going to say something completely off the wall. Uh, fuck, I forgot his name. <laughs> the one I discussed in the chat was a... Nick, yeah. Nick Patrick. Nick Patrick. That was yeah. one of my that, favorite. That's, that's my guy. Nick Patrick. He is the ultimate heel ref. The, oh, the NWO favorite ref. I don't think I have a particularly favorite ref in that regard, but there's a Japanese referee named Red Shoes who always wears red shoes out, uh, who also refs his own son's matches and is completely impartial and has no problem with counting to one, two, three. So Red Shoes and his little red shoes dancing out there and watching his son get his ass kicked. Like Earl Hefner's phenomenal. Like that guy been around the block. I can't remember. Was it his brother that also ref that was really good as well? Is it his brother or is his son? It's kind of one of them. He was he helped train that generation, the next generation. But looking at modern day Earl Hefner, not Earl Hefner, but Aubrey Edwards. Oh, that I was going to say it is so phenomenal of the way that she has advanced forward. <laughs> The direction, yeah. I mean, yeah, but here's the whole thing she's super controversial too yes. because of the fact that she draws so much attention to herself. That's the, but that's, that's why I love, yep. like, that is why I love her as a referee because of the fact that you get more invested in the match because of her responses to what's happening in the ring. When a wrestler is, I he she is the only ref for me in my matches, that says something. Chris Jericho will not use any other ref. But Aubrey Edwards. Well, it's one of those things, too. Like, which match was it where she wound up getting, like, clocked and the crowd went bizarre? No, it wasn't. It was uh, Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah Jeff Jarrett. Okay. Yeah. Like, basically, like, she got clocked in the crowd. Instant heat. Instant heat. We want to, we want to, we want to use the term heat now. Heat. Uh, heat is when you, uh, say, as a heel, Perform an action that gets the crowd angry at you. When you're a bad guy, you want heat. You want people to be booing. You want them to be angry. A wrestler with no heat means a wrestler with no negative reaction. And that is a wrestler that really very few people want to watch. It sounds like a bathroom break happening. Yeah, exactly at that point. <laughs> and with the referees, some purists will do not want the referee to get cheered more than the wrestler. Yeah. I say it's all one, just one big show. True. If that referee adds more to it, fuck yes, give me more. And right there is where we're going to take our next pause before going on to episode three. Ryan, thank you for dropping that F-bomb there in order to uh, kind of give us that transition perhaps. I don't know why, but it felt like a great place to stop. When we come back for part three, we're going to get into our favorite storylines, some great matches, some great finishers, just a lot of general information before we wrap up the conversation with where the business is kind of going in the next direction and things like that. This has been fun. I can't wait to share episode three with you guys. For those that have been sticking along with us this far, I hope you're enjoying it because I know Myself and all the other participants in this had a blast. And I'm glad that we get to share this with you. So, if you would like to reach out to me, my name is Cade Curtis, which if you want to email it, it is Cade, which is spelled C-A-D-E, 
at learningfromfriends.com. I have a Facebook page. You can be able to look it up through Learning From Friends Podcast. I have a Twitter page. It's there. I post the episodes up on it. Probably not the best of place to reach it out to, but it's there. I do have a Patreon page. If you want to email me actually through that, you can reach out through there. I would love to see some donations come in that way. It just It's always nice just to have a little bit of crowdfunding. If you could do me a favor and share this episode with friends just by word of mouth, it spreads so greatly. Share it on your Facebook page. Share it on whatever social media platform you would like. So, before we all leave here, my name is Kay Curtis, your tour guide on this lovely adventure that I like to call Learning from Friends. And most of all, don't forget to let your curiosity fly high.